The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey, <sighs> Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hi, and welcome to It's Relatable on Mind Body Spirit FM, where we talk about all things relationship. I'm your host, Carrie O'Driscoll, and I'm so happy you're here. Get comfortable, and let's dig in. Today, I'm talking with Andrea Carlisle, and we're going to talk about our relationship to aging, which I think is a really fascinating topic for a whole host of reasons. And we could probably talk about it for days and days and days. So this will only just be a short hour of investigating what it means to be getting older. But let me tell you a little bit about Andrea first, and then I will link to her website and other and to her press so that you can figure out where to buy her book at the end of the show in the show notes. Thanks for joining us today. Andrea Carlisle is someone who has taught fiction and nonfiction, both for the Oregon Writers Workshop and also other writing organizations in Oregon and Washington states. Her work has been published in literary journals, newspapers, magazines, anthologies, and by independent presses. She wrote this incredibly popular blog about her mother called Go Ask Alice when she's 94, and it brought attention to aging and caregiving before they really became subjects of national interest. So let's dive in, get comfortable, and have a listen, and then let us know what you think at the end. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Andrea. Excuse me. I'm really excited to talk to you. Um, Not only about your new book that's come out, but also just about um, this topic in general, because I know that you wrote a blog for many years about um, your relationship with your mom and what it was like when she was aging. Um, And so actually, before we even dive into talking about the book, would you mind just telling us a little bit about the blog and where people could find it and how it got started and all of that? Sure. Yeah. Hi. Thank you for having me. Um, So the blog, which was called Go Ask Alice when she's 94, um, it's not findable right now, but it was on my website, andreacarlisle.com. And... um, I kept it for seven years for the duration of the time that she lived here, close to me, like 10 minutes away. And um, it was my way of 
just tracking us, the two of us. And w- at, at first, when she moved here, I did not write about her. And then I just was finding that it was so interesting to get to know her in a new way. And I was also very interested in her changes, the changes that she was going through mm. as a woman in her 90s. So, yeah. Okay, well, I'm a writer and I have a subject and off I go. So, yeah. Two of us. That's so great. So, what was it like to have those kinds of conversations with her when she was in her 90s? You know, we did not have conversations per se about here I am getting older, I'm in my 90s now, this is what it feels like, this is what I'm looking at. We just, the blog was really, uh, uh, it was more like a documentary about, about our lives together. It was more mm. of a, this is what we did today, this is what we, what she said, this is what I said, where we went, how it was. Um, there was, there were musical elements to the blog songs that she was reminded of or that i was reminded of of it was it was more a bird's eye view of mother and daughter being together than it Mm. was sitting down and interviewing her and asking her questions got it she would have been i think very self-conscious about being interviewed about her own aging yeah. I mean, she did talk about it once in a while, but I don't think she would have responded very well to direct questions. She would say, let's talk about something else, I'm sure. <laughs> well, it's that it's interesting because it strikes me that um that could be true of anyone, right? It like aging is just simply one facet of who you are, right? And and so who wants to hyperfixate on just one portion of what's going on with you? But it's interesting, I think, because that is how we often think others perceive us, at least me as I'm aging, right? I think people who don't know me must look at me and think, oh, well, that's a woman of a certain age. So she, you know, and then there's all these sort of cascading thoughts and assumptions that go along with that. And I would resent that. Like, I don't want people to categorize me simply because they think I'm a certain age. Right. It's very limiting, isn't it? And 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 we can't help but do that when we first meet someone. I think there are a bunch of things that go on in our heads about here I'm meeting this woman, she's 50-something or she's 80-something. I can assume this, this, and this. Uh, and of course, we can't really sure assume anything, but it's just what people do. Yeah. But I do like it when um, when people are honest about when they meet me and they and they do ask questions about. I don't mind being interviewed. I'm <laughs> not the same person as my mother, but um, I like it when people ask me about aging because it's one of the things that I'm I mean I wouldn't have written a book about it if I wasn't really curious about it yeah about it yeah well and that that was the perfect segue into one of the things that I've been thinking about um in and that is curiosity and how curiosity impacts 
my personal view or my experience of aging. I am going to be 52 this year. And I was having a conversation with someone else this morning about, you know, what we, what we thought when we were kids, you know, like fifties old, man, that's old. (laughs) And, and I, there was a portion of my life where I couldn't wait to be an adult right? Because I thought there was all this freedom that was going to come along with it. And I there was this whole new set of things that I was going to be entitled to do. Um, and then, of course, I became an adult and I realized a lot of those things come with responsibilities and the weight of other things. <laughs> but as I get older and my body changes, I have discovered that if I can lead with curiosity then I can be a lot more gentle with myself, right? It's just sort of like, oh, what is happening now? What is this menopause thing about? Or, you know, what is happening? Like, why is my hair doing something it's never done before? And what is, and and if I can, so I can ask questions about like, what is different than I expected it to be? And is this something that's limiting me or... Is it just an idea that I had that it was going to be limiting? So I would love it if you would talk about your um, curiosity, what, you know, where curiosity factors into your experience of aging and what that's like. You know, I think what kicked off my curiosity was menopause. And I, I went through those kinds of questions of what is happening here. Yeah. Uh, because your body does change so much. It's like puberty. Uh, you know, these these hormone faucets get turned on at puberty and then they get turned off at menopause for women. And um, it, it's an amazing uh, transition, passage, whatever you want to call it. It's profound. Uh, I, I still have... Um, at night, I still have hot flashes throughout mm. the night, mm. and I'm 78. But when they first happened, I thought, well, what are these? Why yeah. are this way? How long does it last? But now, how I feel, I, you know, I'm not curious on a kind of daily level about aging, but I am curious about how every biological aspect of it every single one from hair to skin to you know um uh, muscle tone um everything i'm also i also feel kind of liberated by Mm. looking at it that way looking at it through the lens of what's going on rather than oh my god something's going on, you know, and I need to pay attention and worry about it. And if this happens, then that's going to happen. I think curiosity raises you above that. It mm-hmm. a force on its own that lifts your consciousness into a new, onto a new level. And then you can think about things in a different way. Yeah, I th- I think so. I think that there's something, um, if I can switch into asking questions instead of just sort of making blanket assumptions, it always 
gets me, I think it gets me into that portion of my brain that is more creative and more willing to entertain possibilities and think outside the box as opposed to just like, oh, this is happening and it must be bad because it feels slightly uncomfortable or it's something I haven't experienced before. And I think one of the other things that you touched on that that um, I have to remember too is I think as a kid, I thought like you get to be a grown up and then that's pretty much it. Like you've sort of plateaued, right? And that that's just how the thing, the way things are going to be, that's your personality is pretty fixed or, you know, the way your life goes is like you've sort of set yourself on this path and now it's just your job to follow that path. But of course that's absurd, right? Because we are constantly changing and that we're constantly growing and there are, are things that are happening and it's, you know, um, it, what we're experiencing in any given moment is just a snapshot in time. And just because it's this way right now doesn't mean it's always going to be this way. <laughs> and so, yeah, I might be experiencing a certain um you know, maybe there's a twinge in my knee or maybe I can't go up the stairs as easily as I used to be able to go up the stairs. But that doesn't necessarily mean that that's the way my life is going to be forever and ever. I can, you know, if I could be curious about it, is this really related to aging or is it because I was walking my dog yesterday and he dragged me sideways and, oh, maybe that's it, (laughs) right? Instead of getting stuck in that fear place. Yeah, getting stuck in the fear place is uh, a hazard, I think, of old age especially. You look for things, especially I think mental, you know, like, did I forget this because it's just normal to forget uh, whatever, my keys a couple times a year, or am I starting to lose my mind? I mean, that's... Yes. The question that starts to pop up and you think, oh, my gosh, you know, now I'm wondering about this. But in terms of physical things, um, you know, your knee might hurt going up the stairs in the morning, but not that night. You know, it's just it's amazing to me how many little creaks and pains and, you know, buzzes and tingles and whatever go on. Yeah. And. I, I think we are hyper aware of them uh, now. I am anyway. But I bet they've come and gone like that all of our lives. And we just, I mean, we've been aging all of our lives, right? So yeah, all of these little things have been happening. We just haven't put a magnifying glass on it until we get to a point when we think, should I worry about this? Yeah. About this. Um, and then I think also the older you get, the less you want to go have things checked out. So, yeah, if something does linger, you think, okay, it's been a week now with this knee, but maybe next week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then, then the curious question becomes, do I want to know? <laughs> do I want to know? Can I just go away? Yes. Yeah. So, and that makes me think about sort of, how necessary a sense of humor is as you age, right? I really think that it's so important for us to be able to not take ourselves so seriously and laugh about some of the ridiculous things. I mean, I know, so um, 
I have kids and they're in their 20s and I don't want to scare them, but there are times where I'll joke with them about, you know, what it's like to have to cross my legs every time I'm going to sneeze because I'm afraid I might pee myself a little bit. And they're like horrified, but it just seems funny to me. It's like, well, I mean, it's just part of getting older. <laughs> you know, do they think it's funny or? Um, sometimes they think it's funny. I think my youngest daughter thinks it's funny for two reasons. Number one, she's like, well, I'm never having kids. And so that's not ever going to happen to me. I haven't had the heart to tell her yet that that actually happens to women who haven't had children. But the other thing is, I think she just turned 21. And I think to her, aging is this like mythical, strange, faraway place that she's not even contemplating in relationship to herself. Yeah, it seemed to me when I was that young and, um, and and actually for quite a while after that, old age was like another country. Mm-hmm. It didn't really, I, I couldn't imagine being there. I couldn't imagine crossing that border, mm-hmm. that, <laughs> that strange land. I would be a stranger to myself, I figured, you know, yeah. I got, if I got there. And then when you get old, and especially as old as I am, you realize, oh, this is just the same me. (laughs) This is just exactly who I've always been. You know, I mean, there have been, there has been development, evolution, my thinking and whatnot. But, you know, essentially, I'm the same person. There is no stranger I'm meeting here. Yeah. And I'm old now. This body is old now. This yeah. It's carrying me around. It's an old body. Um, yeah. I You wrote, so it's, you just keep teeing me up perfectly. Because I have this one passage from your book, which, by the way, I should tell people that your, um, your book is called There Was an Old Woman. Um, and it's a series of just really amazing essays um, about aging and this i have this one passage marked um where you write now i can see what i couldn't see clearly before we don't turn into someone else when we become old we don't swap out our passports and enter some other state we bring our whole selves with us into old age the same selves our bodies have carried all the way through our lives Old shouldn't come as a surprise any more than the sunrise comes as a surprise. Who we become in old age is the elder within who finally manifests. I mean, I I have goosebumps. Like, I must have read that four or five times. Just thought, yeah. Yes, exactly. It's It makes me think of this sort of ripening almost it's like that all of the elements were there the whole time it's just that we're becoming more of who we are there there's actually um right word is not genre but there's a there's a literature that's that's about old age it's got, it's called something like Valding's Roman or something. Anyway, I'm sorry for anyone who heard that, who will hear that. <laughs> and I screwed it up. But what it means is the literature of ripening. 
mm. getting older. And and ripening is, is a really good word because you do. I mean, you the, the word development, you don't think of that as associated with old age, but it is. You're developing further and further and becoming more and more essentially who you were all along. Things fall away that kept you attached to certain ideas about yourself that they just kind of fall away and you do ripen and become this if you're lucky i mean the whole thing about old age is it's a privilege if you get here at all yes it says a lot about medical care and um you know the money your family had uh and that you had throughout your life so it's a privilege but you get to this point and you think, okay, you know, I can't develop beyond this, but then you do. And sometimes it happens in kind of subtle ways, like shutting up when you used to <laughs> always have to have your say about something. Yeah. You know? And you can look at that as, oh, you know, I learned this lesson about, but it's actually a developmental stage you could do it's it's uh, a more full way of being in the world to just shut up sometimes and yes let people be who they are and make the mistakes they're gonna I, i've never been a parent but i can imagine um how often a mother might want to say be this way and not that way i mean my mother certainly did with me mm -hmm. um, but not, you know, not just intimate relationships, but all relationships, friendships, everything. To, to, to let the guy at the grocery store, you know, let him be who he is when he looks at you like, you know, like you're a, a, some kind of Martian or something and doesn't really want to deal with you, but he's going to help you because, you know, he kind of has to because it's his job. And you can feel this sense from him that he would rather be talking to his girlfriend on his cell phone or what anything. Yeah. But you find the bread or whatever it is you're looking for. And, you know, even 10 years ago or five years ago, I would have said to him, something along the lines of you know i'm a person too and i <laughs> i yeah. have my needs i need to you know be recognized and and that's legitimate that's okay and it was okay whenever i did that and now i'm more likely to just let him have his experience yeah yeah so strangers friends everybody um, so there, anyway, that, there's that level of development too. Um, there's, uh, I think there's spiritual development. There's, um, you know, there, there are all kinds of different angles. You can feel that you're still developing as a very old person. Yeah. I think there's something about, um, there's a sort of, a relaxing that I can feel starting to happen, right? This, this, um, oh, that's not my problem to solve. 
Or, I mean, one of my my kids, and my kids can attest to this, one of my favorite phrases is, not my circus, not my monkeys. Like, whereas before, you know, yeah, when you're younger, when you're in your 20s, you'd have this sort of idealism and this sense that there's a right way and a wrong way. And if I've hit upon something that works, that must be the right way. And then, you know, as I get older, I realize there are a million different ways to do things and they can get us to the same destination, you know, and someone else might have a completely different way of doing it. And it might actually be more fun. And it's not something I ever would have thought about. Right. So there is this, um, this one of the other myths that I had about aging was that you just sort of learn up into a certain point and then you just don't learn and like you don't need to learn anything else like you know as much as you need to know and I would say in my 50s I have a a way more insatiable curiosity about everything than I had when I was in my 20s I realized how much I don't know about so much in the world (laughs) wow my mother when she moved here and she was in her 90s she i she had been living just at home without my father my father had died and um she didn't get out very much and she had meals on wheels and you know she was kind of isolated but once she got here and we were going around everywhere together she started asking questions. One of the essays is about the questions that she asked. She mm-hmm. became curious about absolutely everything. Or maybe she was curious all along and she was just kind of storing it up. Yeah. I don't know. But, um, you know, she was asking questions like, why is the sky blue? <laughs> <laughs> Getting down to basics. Why is grass green? Why do trees grow in such a way that both sides stay balanced? Um so I think that's one of the pleasures about getting older is that you you can ask these questions, you can become curious about things, want to know about things. I mean, one of the thing one of the reasons I got interested in writing about old age is that I kept seeing these things like articles and even books sometimes that had titles like how to age successfully Mm. gracefully yeah even how to age exuberantly or whatever and i thought well what in the world you know (laughs) what is this why are we why are we suddenly being given these how-tos what it what is it people are afraid of they're going to fail at Mm, that's a big question wow what do you think about that yeah i mean i think a lot of it it in my experience a lot of it has to do with this sort of fear of death right this um i want or fear of change like i want things to stay the way they are because i think i finally figured this out and so if i if i if things change i need to know how to sort of bring them back to homeostasis right so that i can have this kind of steady state all the time i think um 
Because, you know, again, as a woman in my 50s, I can tell you right now that all of the ads that are targeted towards me on social media and everything are about losing belly weight. They are about creepy skin. They are about like, how do I keep my hair from thinning? It's this, you know, there's all that sort of cultural societal stuff. Um, But I think there's also this sense that um, we have to somehow stay legitimate as we get older. Um, My ex-husband's sister was in, worked in human resources for most of her career. And I remember she had this, this rule that she would never tell anybody how old she was because she had seen ageism play out so much in the workforce. Like, I'm not going to hire somebody who's in their 50s or certainly not in their 60s because how much longer are they actually going to work, right? Um, and there was this sort of, there's this sort of shame, I think, that comes along with aging in this particular culture. And so maybe it is that if we can figure out how to age, quote unquote, gracefully or exuberantly or whatever, that we're somehow beating the odds or, you know, showing people like, hey, being old isn't actually, you don't have to dismiss me. I'm not invisible. I'm not useless. I'm, you know, maybe it's a pushing back against those kind of societal norms that we have around aging. Yeah, well, maybe though a better question would be, how do we age without shame? Yes. The reason you're getting those ads, and I still get those ads, by the way, uh, all all that stuff. Um, so just be prepared for another 20 or 30. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> um, I think, you know, the bottom line is if you don't do it right, you will feel this overwhelming sense of shame. I mean, one of the things that you'll feel is this overwhelming sense of shame that you're not really part of the us, the we. Anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And so what would it be like if you weren't afraid of that shame, if, if we could age without even thinking that there was any shame attached to it? And the reason there's shame attached to it is because shame is just built in to our culture. Yeah. shipped up being old. It starts really early and it goes throughout our lives. We are not born ageist human beings. It's spoon fed to us. Yeah. From the go. And it and and so the shame of it well there's this one researcher her name becca levy i think she's at yale and she did some studies and um, one of the things she found in interviewing very young children like two or three years old if you ask these little kids do they want to be old one day and now they've been reading picture books they have little movies they've been looking at they've Mm -hmm. seen old people caricatured and distorted their bodies distorted in images Mm. and they say no Mm. they say no that young wow wow um yeah i think i think this question what what would it be like 
to age without shame. That's really underneath all of this other stuff. Like, how do you age gracefully? How do you age successfully? Okay, those are fine questions, but why in the world should you even have to worry about it? Right. Worry about it because you're afraid of being cast out. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right about that. And I think part of that comes from the fact that we like to pretend that we are not biological creatures, <laughs> that we sort of are separate and apart from that, right? We that we are not um that we're somehow immune to the rhythms and cycles of nature right? We teach people, like, we revere, there was that story I remember that went around about, like, Martha Stewart and how amazing she was because she only sleeps four hours a night, right? And, like, somehow that's a superpower, right? Or, um, you know, we, we have all these artificial lights to try to keep ourselves awake longer so that we're more productive. And, you know, we, like, we don't, attune ourselves to the rhythms and cycles of nature and i think that so that when we see the effects of the fact that we are biological creatures on us aging just like all the other biological creatures out there it seems somehow like we've screwed up like we weren't able to actually master the things that we were that we were trying to master and it just feels crazy to me but that's one of the things that I love about a lot of your writing because I feel like you spent a lot of time in nature and you also spend time writing about nature. And I'm curious how your relationship to nature's and its rhythms and cycles has maybe affected or informed your perspective on aging. Well, it's true. I do spend a lot of time. Well, well for one thing, I live on a houseboat. Mm-hmm. Um, the book makes clear. And I mean, right now I'm looking out at a river. I'm looking at an island that's just right across from the river, right across the river. Um, there are a lot of birds around here, large and, you know, raptors and also small birds. You can't avoid nature living here. Mm-hmm. And your houseboat, for anyone who lives on a houseboat, you know, it's kind of out in the elements. Right. So when it rains, you're not surrounded by trees and you don't have a garage and you, you, you don't have all of these things that feel like layers of protection. And I've lived here a long time. Like, I guess this is my 44th year. Wow. Here. It hasn't always been in the same house, but here on this moorage, on this, you know, in the, um, with these same neighbors who are also getting older. And um, I think people who move here already have an affinity for nature. They want to be in nature. Mm-hmm. But we're lucky enough to have a forest and be right behind us and mm-hmm. trails through the woods and... Um, and how it affects me is it allows me to just lean into the reality of change. It's, you cannot avoid it. It's right now, you know, when I look out 
out my window and I look at the jewel weed on this um, stretch of logs that we call the breakwater, that the leaves are changing color. Mm. I mean, you, can't, you just cannot uh, yeah. be here, not see it and feel, okay, winter's coming. And sometimes, actually, because it's uh, um, it can be not dangerous to live on a houseboat in winter. That's not really the word I'm looking for, but challenging. Yeah. Because snow piles on your roof, your house goes down into the I mean, things happen. <laughs> um, you know, I feel a sense of dread. I I have felt a sense of dread about winter. Mm. And metaphorically, of course, that's the same thing as what I feel about getting really old. You know, yeah. you can't get out anymore. You can't. Uh, if if that happens to you, I mean, a lot of really old people do get out every day, but there's that dread or fear of what will happen to me. Yeah, this is um, yeah that that is a part I think of knowing nature. Things can happen. We are biological creatures. Things can happen. Yeah. Yeah, and if we're lucky, we've had dogs and cats, and we've gone through their whole, I have several times gone through the lifespans of dogs and cats in my life and watched this whole thing happen and their own winters come and, you know, get more, as they get more and more fragile, there's a, a feeling of, oh, you know, I'm one of these two. I'm one of these animals too. And yeah. And then I think just, you know, walking through the woods, you see death all the time, all around you. Yeah. Summer, winter, spring, or fall. And so you just can't help but, you know, there it is. It's right there in front of us. Why we couldn't see it before, I don't know. I, I think people who all their lives spend a lot of time in nature do see it and acknowledge it and feel it and know it maybe not so consciously but they do yeah really yeah hey it's ryan reynolds and i'm here with keith co-star of my upcoming film if only in theaters may 17th do you want to tell people the big news all right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Yeah, it's and that sort of brings me to, you know, the idea of grief and grieving and um, not only for, you know, pets or people that we lose as we age, but also I think there's this very legitimate type of grief that we don't necessarily allow people, which is grieving for the the abilities or the parts of ourselves that get lost over time, right? Um, One of my dearest, closest friends, she was actually married to my dad for about 10 years, um, but um, they got divorced when I was in college, but she remains one of my dearest, closest friends, and she's in her mid-70s. And, you know, we talk a couple of times a week, and she um, has had a couple of knee replacements and now her hip is one of her hips is messed up and she can't walk without a walker. And, you know, she was this person who was always out working in her yard and, you know, going to the botanical gardens and checking things out. She was, you know, grew up riding horses and was a very physical active person. And that notion that she can't just hop out of bed and even walk down the hall to make herself coffee easily without having this huge walker that bashes into things on the way down the hall like that people outside of you know who hear her say stuff like that are like well you know what do you expect you're in your mid-70s like you know but there's walkers and there's pain meds and like get over it sort of people just want her to just accept that and move on but I think there's a process that we have to give ourselves grace to go through where we grieve the loss of those abilities. Oh, you're and- absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I think people really underestimate or they don't they they're just not willing to see how much re- old age can change a body and how each time some change happens that person has to goes through this process of of grieving that's the same process as you're pointing out that we go through when we lose a person Mm -hmm. losing part of ourselves you know she can't do what she used to be able to do that hurts yeah that hurts yeah i think especially if you built some sort of identity around that i have another friend who's 85 um ethel shout out to you if you're gonna listen to this episode who she lives in montana and she is an avid cyclist and has been cycling and hosting international cyclists for decades and decades and decades and just in the last year she has had a couple of falls off of her bike. I mean, she's 85 years old. Like, first and foremost, it's miraculous that she's able to still get out and ride her bike. And it's not an electric bike. Like, she's, you know, riding her bike. But she definitely has struggled with what happens if I'm not able to cycle anymore. Like, that's a huge piece of her identity. Right. 
Right. So you have to be, you have to be flexible enough to change your identity, to, you know, to reach out. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a whole process in itself, isn't it? It is. Well, and it makes me think about one of the other essays that you wrote, um, because I do a lot of work with uh, my background is in adolescent brain development. And I do a lot of teenagers are my favorite people. And I do a lot of work with teens and parents of teens. Um, and one of the things, really the hallmark of those adolescent years is identity development. That's the most important thing for adolescents to accomplish during that 10 years worth of adolescence, right? Is to try on different things and play with identities and decide what what my passions are and what my values are and who am I as a person and how am I going to let that guide me going forward. And I was absolutely fascinated to read what you were writing about the connection or the parallels between adolescent years and aging. So I would love it if you would talk about that a little bit. Well, that's that I came across when I was reading Coming of Age by Simone de Beauvoir. Mm -hmm. uh, she mentions that parallel a couple of times in that book. And I, so when I read it, I started thinking about that. And I thought, yeah, I need to start taking notes about this and then sort of interrogating myself about this. Um, because you, when, when you're, uh, when you turn 13 or 12 or 13, you have, what is it, seven years really before you're considered an adult yeah and you're packing a lot into that amount of time but it's so similar to i mean and when you're an older person you might have 40 years to be you know to be old from 60 to 100 or mm -hmm. young so it's a different timeline but it's still the same kind of um you know physical change and trying to come to terms with what you are, who you are, where you're going. Um, if you're going to lose this, how can you replace it with something that's as good or better than what you had? Um, if you're going to be something and you've always been something, how do you let that go and, and find something that is just as satisfying to be or to become? So, um, for me, uh, as I explain in the essay, a neighbor gave me an old desk that was in her basement. Mm -hmm. And I had had a great loss in my life at that time. My brother had died by suicide just a few months before we moved to this new neighborhood and this new neighbor lovely mother of a whole bunch of children and she gave me this desk and i i just loved it it was an old secretary desk and i brought it home and i put it in my room and i think what she saw was that i was going through kind of an identity crisis myself because my brother had died our family was no longer the same family my other brother of course, soon after mm -hmm. and left. And so the family shrank down from a family of six to a family of four. And 
so my main, you know, my my day to day identity as a member of this big family. Yeah, did. Um, I I didn't know myself uh, because I was grieving, and I didn't know anything about grieving. Yeah, I didn't know what to do or how to be, uh, and I know people. I've gone through all kinds of traumas as adolescents and have had not just the challenges of adolescence to work out, but PTSD like I had from my brother's death or um, abuse, neglect, all kinds of, sure. you know, all kinds of things can be added to adolescence. But I think this woman had seen me, she, she lived in a house with a flat roof and, as you know from reading the essay, on this flat roof and on summer nights, a bunch of her kids and neighborhood kids would climb up there and we would just have a great time until it was time to, we'd just, you know, laugh, eat, eat stuff, yeah. talk. But then at a certain point, um, things would quiet down and it, it just fell to me for some reason to tell a story. I don't know why. But it was my task to tell us like a bedtime story. Yeah. And I felt responsible for some reason to tell this story like Shahrazad <laughs> fell asleep. So I would go, <laughs> my little characters would meet one terrible challenge after another. <laughs> and what was interesting, I thought later when I was thinking about this time in my life, she was right below us in her in the the master bedroom where she and her husband were sleeping. It was, it was right below us. The hatch to the roof was open. Mm. Every there was a light on in the closet, so we could climb down the ladder and go home if we wanted to. And I think she gave me that desk so that I would go home and take it home and start to write the stories down. Mm. And I think that a lot of us, when we're at this point in our lives, being older, um, I mean, now I'm writing more than I have for years. And um, I think a lot of us can look to see what we did as adolescents that helped us get through. Yeah. And return to that or pick up a thread of that. Mm -hmm. carry it into this part of our lives and just see what happens just, yeah. just see what we can make uh, or do or be or become um, that I mean we, we know how to do it because we did it then Yeah, we, we, we know exactly how to do it every single person who's alive right now got through who's an adult and who's especially older people we all got through adolescence. We wouldn't be here. Right. So right. What the essay asks people to do, or what my intention there was for it to ask, you know, what is it in you? What, what got you through adolescence? And if, if you don't want to take that onto yourself again and do it again, what were your, what, what did you do? You know, in your inside yourself, then, yeah, to go through this tremendously challenging and changing time, your body changes so much. Yeah, and so, what can you carry from your adolescent life 
self, your adolescent self, mm-hmm. into this older self. And the beauty, as you know, from uh, working with adolescents and seeing your own kids, um, they're so good at it. They're so good yeah. at adapting and you know they're just searching all the time for something that's going to help them move, yeah. grow, become what they want to be. Their yeah. their ears and eyes are always open to that, even if they're slumped in a corner, you know, upset about something. Yeah, they're just beautiful that way. They're growing creatures and they're looking. Yeah, creatures now as well. So yeah. why not? And listen to ourselves about what would help us through now. Yeah, I love that. I love that so much. And it's really interesting. You know, I often, when I tell people that teenagers are my favorite people, they generally look at me like I'm crazy. And like most people are like, what? Teenagers are horrible. (laughs) And And one of the, what I will explain to them is one of the things that I love about teenagers is that they are, like you said, they're so good at kind of having a foot in both worlds, right? Like I can remember, you know, one of my kids, you know, laying on the couch, eating Cheetos, watching SpongeBob cartoons, you know, and they're making a mess and their fingers are covered in orange dust and whatever. And they look like they're, you know, a five or six-year-old kid and they're giggling and they're being ridiculous. And then I walk in the room and they turn around and look at me and say this thing that is so profound. And I'm like, what? (laughs) How does that, how do both of those things exist simultaneously? (laughs) Right? They have a foot in both worlds. And I love that they can, a lot of them, until we adults and systems and structures in this culture sort of beat it out of them, it's kind of seamless for them. Right. And, and I loved kind of thinking about what would it be like to sort of come full circle as I get older and be able to do that again, right? Where do I get to be playful? Where do I get to be a grown up with wisdom and life experience to impart, but also someone who can just be goofy and silly and yeah, I can sit down and color if I want to sit down and color or I can you know, build with Legos. I mean, I can remember, um, you know, people saying it's like, I love being a grandparent because it gives me an opportunity to sit down and play like I didn't get to do with my kids because I was the responsible adult. I was the one in charge, right? And so I love that idea that that we get another opportunity to to experience that again, having a foot in both worlds. I think that's really cool. Yeah, I think it's cool too. I th- I think it's a good. I think what you're saying about how these profound you can be profound and playful and goofy and have orange fingers all at the, the same. Be watching SpongeBob. I mean, you can do all of these things at once, and it yeah. is coming in a circle. And you will. You don't even have to worry about it. You don't even have to plan for it. It's just there, waiting for you. Just yeah. Have to come open your eyes to what interests you. Yeah. I think especially people who have had very serious jobs, it's a time of adjustment. And yeah, you know, let go of 
this very, very responsible world. Yeah. Yeah, why not? Right? I think that's great. Thank you so much. I can't believe we already did this for an hour. It's flown by. Um, but I very much appreciate you spending the time. And I'm, I will will include links to your website and places to purchase your book in the show notes. But I will encourage everyone to to go find your book because it has been absolutely delightful reading it. And I very much appreciate it. Well, thank you. Maybe, Carrie, would you mind one of the links being to bookshop.org? Yes, that's where I always do. <laughs> I try not to do Amazon, if at all possible. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, I, I want to support small independent bookstores. So absolutely. <laughs> yes. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Have a great rest of your day. Bye. Bye-bye. That's a wrap. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of It's Relatable. I'm your host, Carrie O'Driscoll, and you can find links to all the things we talked about on this episode in the show notes on the webpage for the podcast at mindbodyspirit.fm. Please reach out to me with questions, comments, and ideas for the show and download episodes and leave reviews on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you stream podcasts. If you like, subscribe, and follow, You'll be sure to get updated whenever there's a new show to listen to. The music at the beginning and the end of the show is a clip from a song called Get By. It was written by Lauren O'Driscoll, Alexander Parker Lawrence, and Moses Ray Walker. The song is performed by Lorelai and Sam Rydell, and you can find the whole amazing song wherever you stream music. I highly recommend it if you need a mood lifter. I also want to give a shout out to Moses Walker for helping me produce this podcast. He is always and forever making these technical things seem so much more doable for me. And I am grateful for his expertise and advice. Until next time, take care, mind your relationships, and be well, everyone. Intuition is our spiritual GPS and the single best tool that we have for navigating our lives. I'm Victoria Shaw. And on my Intuitive Connection podcast, I will share with you the ways to connect with your intuition and awaken the gifts of your soul. In each episode, I'll draw on my own intuitive gifts and my training as an Ivy League trained counselor and psychologist to help support you in reaching your highest potential. Start listening now on Mind Body Spirit FM Podcast Network or wherever you find your podcasts.